Liam, friends, and welcome to the Metacast Crypto Corner brought to you by Navic. I'm your host, Nicola Vreke, or Nico for short. And today I'm joined by fan favorite Lars Doucet and Jeremy Paris. And in today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about token designs in games, some of the best practices, um, play to earn, is it dead or not, uh, what's happening there. Um, and we have two fantastic guests for that, but maybe first, very quick, some intros. Lars, you can go first. You've been on the pod before. Yeah. Two sentences about what you do and what you specialize in. Yeah, I mean, I've been here before. Um, I'm a game developer historically, and nowadays, I guess I'm an analyst on the econ and design side of blockchain games. I've written a bunch of project deconstructions for Novik, and I've appeared on this podcast a bunch. Awesome. How about you, Jeremy? Yeah, um, I am a ventures associate over at Delphi Digital, um, but I really enjoy spending my time in sort of token design, specifically for Web3 games, and um, just trying to stay on the bleeding edge of that um, with all my crew over there. So that's that's me in two sentences anyways. That's great. And the cutting or bleeding edge is where we want to be with this episode. So, you know, l- let's start immediately, Jeremy. Um, I feel like I've come across a few projects that said, "Oh, I've, we've worked with Jeremy, and I've heard very, like, much good about your work." So, share with us, um, maybe like as a as from a high level to start, like how how you're thinking around fungible tokens, what they can do for games, um, and then maybe we can go into some more specifics, like different loops and designs. Absolutely, man. Um- May, I'll take a crack at it, and I think it'll answer your question in, in a roundabout sort of way. So, so bear with me for two seconds here. Um, sure. I think for me, the question is like how to approach uh, token design when it comes to a game um, or or any sort of project, right? Because that's that's what it is largely. And I think there's a lot of different components for approaching token design. Um, and and this is where Lars, um, I'm super excited to talk to you because I think when it comes to Web three gaming specifically, you can't start with the token design really. You have to start with the game design and make sure the game design makes sense. And that's a good game design first because you can't really put a good token design on top of, um, I don't want to say a bad game, but a bad game design, perhaps, right? Um, and then for me, I guess the way I frame token design in my own head is, um, you know, whether it be a two token design, a one token design, or different um mechanisms inside of designing tokens like staking or yields or even like airdrops. For me, each one of those individual things is a tool that is in your sort of token design toolbox, so to say. So you have to understand each one of those tools in and out, as well as understanding token design and different like ways to monetize things. And then only then can you actually begin even thinking through a token design and building that from like the ground up. Like none of this stuff, in my opinion, can really be bolted on as an afterthought or copy and pasted. Or if you do want to copy and paste, you still have to kind of tweak and tailor make that for whatever it is you're working on. Um, so that's kind of my approach to, to token design. I, I actually have no idea if that answered your question, Nico. <laughs> kind of did. I'm, I'm curious, when, when you think about, you know, what is the objective of a token design? Like, what are you trying to achieve by changing, like, and using the tools that you described earlier, staking, airdrops, these kind of things? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, I guess it kind of depends on on the project, but I guess we'll we'll focus on gaming here. So, I guess like the token design for games should accomplish what the game is trying to do best, you know. And there's a huge range of spectrums there. Like, is a game trying to be more of a Web three native game that leans a lot heavily, more heavily into like crypto native things, or is it trying to ride that fine line between Web two and Web three games? 
or Web 2 with um, Web 3 components maybe more under the hood. And that's going to depend on on your player base, who your target audience is, and probably what your thesis about, um, I guess, just like the future of tech or the future is in general. So I'd say the the, the goal of a token design should be to complement um, whatever your approach is and um, build up on top of it, like you'd build anything else on top of a project um, in the most just thoughtful kind of way. I know that's kind of super, super high level, um, but yeah, I think it's more, token design should be more complementary than dominating, if that makes sense. Okay. I'm down to go into some examples uh, later. But first, Lars, your thoughts, because um, I'm not even sure that you even think that fungible tokens in games are a good thing, so maybe you can share your thoughts to begin with. Um, um, on, on specifically what question? Just um, on fungible tokens in games, is that the question? Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, my standard reply before I get into anything is, do you really need blockchain for any of this, right? Um, but if we're going to assume you're, you're, you're committed to using blockchain somehow, I mean, then it would just raise some basic questions. Um, the first one is that, you know, traditionally, um, when you look at the history of games, you've, we, we, we've tried to attach real money trading to games before. And every time we do, it's there's, there's no game that touches real money trading that comes away fundamentally unchanged. You know, it has immediate, just drastic consequences on the game, um, both because of just um, intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. You know, a kind of game that, and a way to think of it maybe, maybe a good um, mental framework for it is a long, long time ago, I wrote this article called Piracy and the Four Currencies. And I used this model to talk about how our analysis of the, the motivations behind why people pirate things are broken because we only think of it in terms of like the money that's spent, which doesn't help us predict why people would behave this way or that way. And it's like the reason people pirate is because the total cost in all currencies is lower. And some of those other currencies include time dollars, pain in the butt dollars and integrity dollars, as well as just money dollars, right? You know what I mean? It's like it's more time and pain in the butt to use a heavily DRM system than it is to just go pirate it. But piracy is not actually like cost free. It's only cost free in terms of money. It's it's pretty time consuming and you need like technical expertise and all this stuff. And you might feel guilty that it's wrong. Right. Or be worried that maybe you'll be caught. You know, your 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 ISP will send you a nasty letter. And so piracy competed by the DRM just escalating these other costs, including monetary and non-monetary costs, until piracy was actually the cheaper option for some people. And so what I think we should do is that we should remember that there are these kind of so-called invisible currencies that are always in play. And um, if you look through that model with a traditional game, a lot of the costs of traditional games, you know, um, are already denominated in, in mostly in terms of things like time or effort or whatever you want to do. Like you can use whatever terms you want. You don't need to be limited to my four, you know? And so what attaching real money does is essentially set up an exchange between these kind of like invisible currencies of what people are spending in the game and denominating them for the first time in dollars or anything in crypto that's exchangeable for dollars. And when you set that up, suddenly that that changes people's behavior in in unexpected ways because it's like I might be willing to grind in a game for a sort of epicness 
if that's literally the only way I can achieve it. But now that I can exchange it for 12 cents because someone out in, you know, some third world country has a different discount rate on their time than I have and has played the game for 10 days straight. Now, like I'm denominating the time I'm putting in my game in dollars, um, which I couldn't do before. And then I'm making different decisions than I would. And so even before I even drop a single value judgment into that equation, um, I, I think it's important to realize that that is, that is the function of attaching fungibility to um, a game's economy, is that it opens this exchange behind these invisible psychological resources and, and, and harder resources. And I think, that, 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 I think it helps whenever we do any analysis to understand what's actually going on. And that's, um, that's what's actually going on, and that's why it's very, very difficult to balance. Um, and I will say, I have, I have one tiny pet peeve, and you guys don't have to humor me, but I will um, state it, is that when we talk about Web 2 and Web 3, I'm usually kind of shocked at how little Web has to do with it. So, like, we talk about, like, Web 2 games to just talk about, like, traditional games, most of which do not mm -hmm. run in a browser and have anything mm -hmm. to do with the Web 2.0 paradigm. And then... Most Web3 games also do not run in a browser. Like, they've taken the web out of Web3. Like, there's a couple, Splinterlands and Zed Run and so on and so forth, you know. But, like, Axie Infinity is a downloadable Unity app that is not available in the browser. And so mm -hmm. I would like to see a little more web in my Web3 is, is, is just my, my little desire of my heart. Anyway, um, but I'll kick it back. Yeah. That, that, that's a complete digression. So just kick it back to you all with that, that being my answer is that essentially attaching any real-world market crypto or not sets up an exchange to these invisible currencies and then changes human behavior in unpredictable ways. Yeah, first of all, um, I love the the sort of sidebar there at the end because I have very... And it, it's, it's actually a fantastic point because I have similar pet peeves with certain terminology in the space that drives me up a wall. Um, so I totally agree with the Web 2, Web 3 thing. Mine is like the metaverse and, mm. you know, not to go down like terminology rabbit holes. It's just like... 99.9% .9 of the time that is used completely wrong and it like eventually that does kind of like skew and change like the culture though and what our ideas of things are right but um no i i i really appreciate that um to respond to some of that mine is uh before you continue mine is gamefi ah. so we can we, we all have our pet peeves and uh let's continue the conversation no i love that <laughs> man um so i guess like I, I pretty much agree with everything you just said there, Lars, and, and the sort of framing there. Um, you would think that because I work on token designs and all this, that I'd be like the biggest token bull. But oftentimes, one of my um, first jobs is like to ask the question, like, does this need of like a economic token or can we accomplish a lot of the same things you guys are trying to accomplish with just NFTs or like soul bound tokens or whatever the case may be. Like what is the actual purpose of these tokens? And I think a lot of times um, just being totally transparent here. Um, and I, I'm not a huge fan of this. Those tokens become um it changes the the core loop of whatever the project is. Rather than the loop, core loops being like fun or community building or social, the core loop becomes how do I get money out of the spreadsheet? What, like the, the core loop becomes extraction, value extraction. And then the game and the tokens are sometimes built around that. And if that's the, the sort of core loop of your project, then it's never going to work and it's flawed from the beginning, in my opinion. Um, you know, and that's where... I think, Nico, you kind of mentioned it at the beginning of the conversation. People are saying, you know, play to earn is dead. 
you know, there's different things like game five, play five, move to earn. And it's like these, all these different two earns are, in my opinion, sort of different um, token models themselves. I would argue um, if, if you should be designing or thinking through any token model and you want it to be a two earn, it needs to be add value to earn. Um, and that's it. Uh, Ryan Fu and mm-hmm. I were just actually talking about this, who was recently on Nico. And um, yeah, you ha- I, I think that should be sort of um, one of the core principles um, and not opening up the spreadsheet as much as you can, not making your project super value extraction, extractive, but by trying to add meaning to whatever you're designing. And I guess just to like give a more tangible example of like adding meaning, because I agree, like Lars, like when a lot of these sort of traditional games try to add a monetary element and even if it's like um, loot boxes or skins I think that's kind of the core of why a lot of gamers hate NFTs and the sort of example I like to use here is World of Warcraft so you know being an old school gamer of World of Warcraft um, if you're hanging out in the auction house right and somebody rocks up in like all purple epic level 60 raid armor that they earned from you know literally like hundreds of dungeon runs and you 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 knew what that armor meant and it held value it was a signal and then we lost that right um and and we lost it because skin started becoming a thing you know different monetization models and and sort of financials kind of touched world of warcraft and ruined it in a lot of ways and so i think you know uh, at the core of why a lot of gamers hate nfts is sort of that gripe and i agree with it it's like nfts and these tokens look like a more sinister version of that the question in my head is how do we design a token model to give meaning back to that armor so that when I walk in with a level 60 piece of armor that has meaning again, right? How do we get back to that? And I think with, um, you know, Web3 crypto, I think there is a path to that again. Um, But anyways, that's a very long-winded way to say I actually agree with a lot of the things you brought up, Lars, and there are questions that keep not only myself, but like a lot of the uh, token designers over here at Delphi up at night. It's like, how do we continue to improve on some of these models that um, haven't stood the test of time, I suppose, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Lars, you mentioned the problem with suddenly allowing real money to flow into virtual economies makes it that people can, you know, do do calculations. And it essentially, I think that the example that people give is the Diablo 3 real money auction house, where, you know, People were suddenly allowed to inject real money value into the system and, and circumvent the core gameplay loop, um, and they use that as an example to say that you know this can never be a good thing for games, right? The ability to inject real money into a game is always going to be bad. Look at Diablo. Um, my counter argument would be, and I would love Lars to have your thoughts on that. I think you know a lot of games have well, it it, it has always been pretty hard to inject real money into games, right? Well, like you had to get, you had to get your credit card and, and you had to make a payment. Um, and, you know, there were certain laws that restricted how much money you could put into games. And I feel like um, the, most of the games, most of the speci- specifically MMO games have been designed around, you know, having a closed off economy, right? And, and that was a, a specific design decision. And so opening up that economy that was built around the, the premise that you couldn't take real money into the game um, was built in a certain way and was fun um, in that way. However, I think, you know, what fungible tokens and NFTs also also do, right? Um, it is, it, it allows for, you know, new game design. And 
you know, you won't be able to take a game that existed that was fun because you couldn't take your real money in. Um, you can't take that and copy it and, and just make it blockchain and make it work. But maybe there's a way or there are games that could exist where you can inject real money and it is also really fun. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just respond to that. So, um, I mean, the way I would put it is that it's actually it's actually not hard, super hard. I would say it's actually the reverse. It's not too hard to inject money into a game. What's always been difficult is to take money yep. out of it. Right. Um, and there's 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 legal reasons for that as well. There's um, I think they're called money emissions laws or whatever. Like if you're not careful and you allow people to extract money, suddenly you get regulated as if you're essentially a bank, you know. And um, so there's that reason, along with the fact that most game developers have no incentive to let you just extract money from their ecosystem. Um, but there's there's a legal concern as well. And mm -hmm. um and, and so I, th I think you're basically right. Like the issue with Diablo 3, I don't know what other people use it to say, but what I use it to say is you can't take Diablo 3's existing design and bolt an auction house onto it and not have chaos happen, not have like a completely opposite design than you expected. And the main issue with Diablo 3 also is that they, and they always do this. This, this always happens at least, you know, or it has happened a bunch of times. It happened with Artifact too, was that you test a traditional game with a real money market system attached to it in some small constrained environment that does not at all hold to the real forces of an unleashed economy when a bunch of players are going to mm -hmm. do it. And it's like, oh, it, it works fine with like my friendly little beta testers. And it's like, okay, well, someone is going to like arbitrage the ever loving heck out of that. And that's going to be like their full-time job. And then what's going to happen? It's like, you're not going to find out till 1.0 and it's going to be totally different than when you tested it. But um, so then your next point was it's like, OK, you you you're going to need to find so-called blockchain native game designs like token native game designs. I, I agree. You know, whether I like it or not, I agree because it's the same thing with free to play was um, free to play games eventually discovered this niche of where they made games that embraced fully like like there was mobile and there was free to play because not all free, mobile games were originally free to play. It's like you needed to create a game for this interface, like really native to it rather than being like, oh, mm -hmm. it's a platformer Metroidvania and we're going to pretend you have buttons, but they suck because it's a touchscreen um, and things like that. So like you really need to design for that interface and then you have to design for the monetization model. Like just throughout all of game history, you've had to design for the monetization model. The arcades are why games used to be so dang hard. And it took like a while when games moved to home consoles for people to realize we don't need to kill you every 30 seconds. You know, they bolted on continues and then they were like, and early on they're real stingy. It's like, you have three continues. It's like, why don't I have infinite? And now, now, now we don't even have lives in video games anymore. You know, all of that was an artifact of the arcade days. It took time to kind of mm -hmm. slough off. Um, but circling back, I would say one of the big, just like, 100 pound gorillas in the room when it comes to like token design in games is what is the effect of the incentive of giving tokens to your players and does it cause them to behave the way you want and what's really interesting to me is that the one token design that maybe would have the least impact on people's behavior in weird ways is the one that's mostly not available and that is in a dividend bearing share of the game right because if you issue a token that's just like, hey, you now own a share of the game. How does it impact the economy? It doesn't really touch the in-game economy. It's just if this game makes money dollars, you get some dividends. 
You know, you are a share, you have a share in the joint stock company of the game, but that doesn't pass the Howey test and that is considered a security. And so you're not allowed to do that, or at least under my, you know, layman's understanding, not coming from a finance background. Someone please correct me if I'm wrong, but that is like, that is like verboten. You can't do that. And because you can't do that, you know, you have to try these other things and these other things have more impact in the economy in, in different ways. And so, you know, I wonder if regulations were such that you were allowed to do that, and I'm not saying whether that would be a good idea or a bad idea, like, I wonder if more people would choose that if they could just be like, hey, you just own a share in the game now. So when they, so you can make World of Warcraft backed by this little token that does not interface with World of Warcraft's in-game economy at all. When a bunch of people buy World of Warcraft subscriptions, you just get some money, you know? So I'm, I'm just I'm just curious, you know, you, you actually do work in tokens. You know, maybe you can tell me about the legal situation and the the situations behind that. Yeah, no, I, I have a couple thoughts surrounding uh, some of the things you just said there. Um, once again, agree with you as far as um, sort of token design overall. I think uh, at a high level or like to boil it down, it's like you can't make the player's choice to either leave money on the table or put food on the table, right? Like you can't you can't make the player's choice like, oh, do I not take money out of the game when I like have bills to pay? And that like it creates this weird uh, like psychological dynamic that you're kind of touching upon earlier. Um, so uh, it's tough, right? And I think once maybe another way to frame this, right, um, is when you allow money to be extracted from a game, um, what you do is you break the magic circle of that game. Now, what I mean by magic circle of that game is there's this circle and inside of that circle is the gameplay and that's it, right? Now, you break that magic circle by allowing money to flow in and out of it, by like allowing uh, free to play or pay to win or whatever to flow in and out of it and you make the game something other than the game, right? So like if I'm running, for example, let's say like Call of Duty had NFTs, like if I am running around in Call of Duty and I pick up a gun, my next thought can't be, oh, this is a really cool gun. Should I keep this gun or not? Because I might be able to sell it on an open market. Like that just broke my flow state. It just broke the game state. It broke the magic circle. So if I'm looking for, like in my current thinking of like a, a, not maybe a perfect token design, but like a token design that I think is super, super interesting is how do as you're kind of pointing to, Lars, there are like these fungible tokens not touch the game at all, not touch the gameplay at all or the game economy at all. How do we keep that magic circle around a game intact? Make that a really good game so that makes the meta around a game rich, okay? And then how do we build different financial loops around the meta of that game, right? Now, a great example here is sports, okay? Now, soccer, there is no money earned on the field of soccer or football or baseball, right? That's just a game. It's a really great game that builds meta around that arena. The way soccer makes money is the NFL. It's through merchandising. It's through fantasy sports. It's through all these meta games that are built around these games. So how do we take that model and then bring it into crypto and Web3 is my question. And how do we build a token design and a game that allows that to happen? How do we bring sports from the real world into the digital world? if that makes sense at all. Like, because there's a, like, and the last point I'll say there before I, like, would love to hear your guys' thoughts or poke holes or, you know, down to whatever. Um, Like, when it comes to soccer and sports, like, there's a big difference between me, you know, kicking a soccer ball around in my backyard and Ronaldo, right? 
I don't make money by throwing you know that baseball around in my backyard or whatever with my kid. It's Ronaldo that makes money. It's the NFL that makes money. Like Ronaldo makes money because he's the best. The NFL makes money because they built infrastructure around that. They provided tickets. They put merchandising out. So how how do we build that in the digital world is kind of the token design I'm w- looking for. Um, and, and I think part of that, Lars, and sorry for the very long-winded response, I think we build dividends into that as well, you know, because that's part of some of the meta happening around um, that magic circle. So, does that make any sort of sense? Or um, No, that's, that's really interesting. To, so basically what you're saying is you avoid penetrating the game experience itself. And so you basically shove the economic activity over here where it's, it's a little like you can kind of like have separate concerns, right? You know what I mean? So it's like you have your game right here and then like people are doing something here. Like maybe like a really simple, if somewhat, you know, dicey example is, is gambling, right? You know what I mean? Like what that, that, that's one thing people like to do with sports. It's not the only thing they like to do with sports, but it's like you have the game and then you have people betting on the game. Right. Yeah. I mean, Zed Run does this, but no one is actually racing the horses. It's just the computer that's racing them, you know, and that's sustainable. You know, I feel like there's a couple of goals you can think of, of little bars you want to clear. First is sustainable at all so that it can continue whether or not it's good and then also be good, you know. And so, like, I think like Zed Run's down here where it's like it's sustainable. It's debatable whether it's good. Um, And then, you know, can we move beyond that? And then are there things to do besides gambling? You know, you talk about like sports. What are all the ways... I'm not super into sports, but I feel like I have at least the basic grasp. There's advertising, there's um, endorsements, which I best is basically tied into advertise. It is like the bridge between advertising and merchandise, and then um, and ticket sales, ticket sales, yeah, events. like sales at the events itself and merchandising, um, yeah, and like I, like the entity itself, like the NFL, then like makes and like. Inside of the NFL, there's a bunch of different like leagues or teams, right? Right, it was like so a franchise like those- system. There you go. Yeah, franchise system would be probably the best way to to describe that. So, or like, and so like, how does that transfer to like some of the player roles? I guess in Web three, like there's a there's a role in there for a whale. Like if I have big bags, maybe I want to come in and sponsor one of those players, or provide like financing for an esports team to rise to the top, or something mm-hmm. like that. Or I'm a really good promoter. You know, I'm promoting a guild. I'm the PR representative for a guild to see if they could rise to the top. Like, what does branding look like inside of those arenas? Um, mm-hmm. Like, I, I think there is, there can be a bit of a translation. Also, I, d- I don't want to try to take credit for this idea. This th- These aren't like my original ideas. The the person who taught me a lot of this is a guy named Brooks Brown, by the way, who's developing a game called Nor that is working on a lot of these designs. So uh, definitely check out some of Brooks's work and some of uh, the Nor stuff that's happening right now. I just want to make sure I'm, I'm not like taking credit here. Uh, just wanted to point <laughs> that out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so the thing is, though, esports is nothing new, right? We had esports before yeah. we had blockchain. And um, I mean, I haven't checked in on it. I don't follow it day to day. I remember like at least a couple of years back when I was following it, it had kind of like gone through its hype cycle and then kind of like crashed and was coming back up to like its, you know, plateau of whatever its normal level was, which was lower than it was at its at its peak. Um, do any of you have experience with esports and where, wherever that settled, you know, outside of the blockchain world and what the lessons are for this space? Personally, not so much. I don't know if you have any thoughts there, though, Nico. I think um, esports is 
keeps gaining in popularity. When you say it had a peak, would does that mean viewer count or, or like well, revenues? I just, or? I just remember there was there was a lot of news stories. Like I, I wasn't following it like super in depth, but I remember like a lot of like owners and stuff like had lost a lot of money in one particular year, and you know yeah. a bunch of teams had folded and stuff. So there was probably some overinvestment because you know the expectations were slightly too high. We've seen that in esports, but also in blockchain. So um, that that theme keeps coming back. Um, I'd, I'd like to so. Jeremy, I think what you meant was further than you have a game, you have an esports around it. It's more like you have a core game and there's actually stuff happening, but not necessarily like esports related, um, but something that's where, you know, value can flow, where you can have tokens um, and, you know, different player um, or different types, player types can have different responsibilities within the game ecosystem, I guess. Could you give an example of, of, of how you would see this work and then maybe different from esports because I guess our listeners all realize that there's there's value to be created outside of the game in esports, but maybe something that where blockchain would be a great fit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm trying to think if I could use Nor as an example here because they've they've built out a lot of these Ooh. designs. I'm just trying to like think of like what I can and can't share um, <laughs> as, as an example. Um, so... I get okay, so like maybe starting from the bottom and working uh, our way up toward the top, and the bottom being like the game itself. So like let's let's just use I guess um, we'll call it just baseball. Um, we'll just use or um, what? What would be a better example as far as like a a good game? We'll we'll just go with baseball here. So like you create a game that is just a, a fun game to play and that they're, and actually similar to arcade game, you could probably do this with an arcade game to where it's like easy to learn, hard to master. Sports are that. They are the definition of that. There's a huge difference between me and my kid in the backyard and a person who is a Ronaldo or a Derek Jeter or whatever the case may be, right? So anybody could play baseball, anybody could play football, anybody could play an esports team. But once again, there's a huge difference between like me and you guys playing like League of Legends and being at like the world or the League of Legends like world championship, right? And so like the infrastructure um, in the League of Legends example that's been built around that is the esports organization. All of those players have like actual like investors from like VC capital, from angels. They have merchandising. They get, you know, compensated. They then themselves can like give lessons. So they're not making money playing League of Legends. They're making money around League of Legends, right? Um, you know, where are some of the other value flows? As you said, ticket sales there, um, in, in definitely some of the betting. Um, so, you know, I think the way you enable um, some of that, like let's say in the sports example, is you make the player the NFT, right? So it's not a, it's not a fungible token, but by making the player an NFT, that can't be tradable. Like a, so let's call it like a soul-bound NFT or something like that. That's bound to you. You're able to build up provenance in that. That is your decentralized identity or whatever you want to call it inside of the digital, right? Which allows you to interact with that game, which allows you to um, build that provenance, which allows you to um, build that legacy and that story and to begin building that meta around the game as you begin forming teams with other players. Um, now, what you could do with that NFT as the player NFT um, are different things. Like when you're playing really high stakes, um, like let's say it's a shooting game, like that player dies, that player dies. That NFT is done, it's gone, whatever the case may be. You could play for pink slips, you could do all sorts of stuff to add some extra meaning or meta, right? Um, 
so, you know, that's just like one example, but I think um, there's, there's a lot of different metagames you could build around the meta of that perfect circle in that game. You know, that, and that's where we have to get creative as like designers. It's like, okay, what other things emerge um, around those games? Like it could be a questing, like one thing we've seen begin to emerge in, in the gaming space is like questing and achievement-based systems. Like what is, like that, that is a metagame built or, like that we see emerging right now in the web three. How do we build a questing system for those games to where I could create like a really captivating questing system that might get you from being novice to intermediary and it's like a path and a progression to pro, right? Like that's a metagame. That's a business model with its own token design and things surrounding that entity, right? Um, guilds is a meta, like, like, like a YGG or a merit circle. That in a sense is kind of like something that's been built around the meta of Web3 gaming. And those are totally separate entities, right? Maybe not the best examples, but... Like that is a whole new niche that has emerged because of this Web3 thing. So, you know, once again, how do we do that, but with games specifically? Does that mean um, that you don't think having the real, like having the core economy touch the real economy, you don't think that's a good thing? Um, no, I think, um, I, I don't think this is like the be all end all. Uh, model for sure because there's I mean I think the core economy probably can be touched but similar to Lars I have a lot of concerns about that and I'm more bullish on the ecosystem or the quote unquote to use my pet peeve term uh, more bullish on the metaverse right that that game exists in I'm not saying again and you know what I mean by that is like I'm more bullish on like an ecosystem token or a metaverse token than like a governance token or like something you earn inside of the game. Like once again, it goes back to add value to earn. I think governance tokens right now are one, should be one utility or use case of an ecosystem or a metaverse token. So I think I'm just more bullish on uh, the, the bigger picture than like an individual one-off design inside of a game. I think that's totally valid. Like you can definitely design just games that do have their own self-contained sort of ecosystems and their own um, economies inside of them. But when we start getting into that territory, I just also share a lot of those concerns Lars brought up because it's super, super hard. And then you do start getting into that tricky stuff like the psychology and what happens when those values do begin to flow in and out of um, the game itself. Thoughts here, Lars? Yeah. So, I mean, the the, the way my, my approach to all these things is it's like it's very easy to like get in the weeds of I think of it like examining like the food chain of an ecosystem where you're like, okay, so you got like all this grass, then you got these like amphibians, carnivores up here. You're like, do I have enough wolves versus enough trees? And I'm like, is the sun gonna go out tomorrow? That's more important. You know, all of this is irrelevant if the sun goes out tomorrow. And in my model here, basically, like, the sun is the money flowing into your ecosystem. If that energy stops, it doesn't matter how the energy gets redistributed inside. And I think it, any analysis needs to, like, have top level, how does money come in, how does money go out, and who does it go to? And I think the most sustainable model is always um, investors put some money in and some money goes out to repay investors and founders and founders are just investors you know and early employees are just investors who who invested labor and time you know mm -hmm. and then um customers put money in 
right? That is like, no matter how you slice and dice it, every sustainable system looks something like that. You just, That's a company. You just have new names for what you call those things. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, um, and then basically, once you have that, then we can talk all day about how we move things around the system. So, like, if we're yeah. talking about this system, I, 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 I dislike less this idea of having you know the game ecosystem kind of isolated from the token ecosystem. Like, I think like that's starting to like get the right insights. Um, if this is, stuff is going to work at all. And then as long as you can fulfill like, well, well, who's putting in money into this system and why and who is taking out of it, then if you can get that to be balanced, then you can start talking about what each of these two systems do. Um, and I think it is something that's a little more amenable in theory if I'm playing devil's advocate here and, and throwing you all some bones. Um, I think it's more amenable to having a fun game first and then coming up with a token design because there are the separation of concerns. It's not like I'm going to manipulate parts of the in-game economy and tie them to the fate of a token, and now i got to like balance this with, like... Well, like basically, that just gives you this, this vector to players behaving in ways and get, having control over your life you didn't expect. But like if you do things like... I don't know what, what form this would take, but you have some separate token economy that's related to... You could make it so that um, players in the game, um, you know, pl- players of the game have like IP rights to certain things and there's like a fan fiction market or something like that. Yeah. I'm not saying that's necessarily a good idea. I'm just saying it's an idea, you know, yeah, um, totally. or, or any, any things like that. I mean, you have, this is not a good example at all, but like you have Team Fortress's like hat economy, right? It's like, the hat economy, I mean, it does influence the game because it changes how the game looks, right? You know what I mean? Or a mod ecosystem or something like that. You know, I I might surprise some of my viewers here, me, me being such like a crypto downy deber on everything, is that I actually, if everyone remembers paid mods, that whole fiasco with Valve, I actually wrote like a, a piece actually in like slight defense of paid mods. Um you know, and, and like everyone was like super anti-paid mods at the time. And, you know, I agreed with you shouldn't have an existing mod ecosystem, which is based entirely on trust and try to formalize it after the fact and then try to monetize it because you just got a cluster on your hands. But I think it would be cool if people who produce content had a way to get paid for it. You know, you could create some UGC system from the ground up that was fair yeah. and had some sense of things. Um, but I think that the way it was actually done was a total mistake. Um, and everyone involved knows that. Um, but basically, I don't think every relationship needs to be financialized and formalized. Um, I but I do think it is nice to... My, my point is, is that there are certain kinds of creativity that will not happen if they're not funded. The Flash game industry is a really good example of this. Is Everyone remembers Flash games as just being the stuff that was just free. But behind the scenes, we were all getting paid. That's where I got started, you know? Um, so all the people who were running those flash portals, they were paying us money, like a couple thousand dollars a pop to make the best flash games. I mean, it was, you know, we were all young and the dollars were small compared to our later careers. But there was a whole economy behind the scenes that people didn't see. And because of that, we were willing to spend a lot more time on the content. Um the issue is not coming into an existing ecosystem and monkeying about um, in ways that kind of destroy this thing people already love. Um, and so anyway, to, I went on like three tangents um, for the price of one. So, so to kind of mm-hmm. like wheel it back there, um, my main uh, 
question there is just how do you how do you ensure that your overall system is balanced? And then um, what is it you're like, if you've got a token that implies you're selling something, what are you actually selling? What is the product? Why is someone happy to purchase it? And that question comes before any of the more financial questions. And by financial, I mean moving value around that's already been created. Like, how does the value get created in the first place? And yeah. how does money get exchanged for that value? And why is everyone involved happy about it? Yeah. I'm going to answer that question and then kind of pivot a bit. Um, so it. first of all, to answer that question, like, to be honest and transparent, I have no idea. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and, the re- and the pivot is, I think, you know, to like zoom out for a second and not to get like too cheesy here or anything, it's like, I think sometimes what happens in this bleeding edge is like we make things tribal, we let ego get in the way, you know, and we like look at the things that have been validated like Axie we're like, but look, it was worth a billion dollars or whatever it was worth. Like, so that must be the thing. It's like, well, no, it's not. It's like, this is such a infant industry. It's like, we have to uncover these new tools and we have to keep developing these new tools and new models so that, you know, we have more tools in the toolbox. That's why I think the like soul bound tokens are incredibly interesting. Um, that's why I think, um, you know, like NFTs have like kind of spurred on like a, a big part of the cycle because it was like this new major tool, same thing with DAOs and that sort of thing. So it's like, just to put some of this into context, um, a t- two tweets I saw the other day, um, I forget who they were. So sorry, guys, if you're listening. I think one might have been G Money, but I could be wrong. And it was something like last January, CryptoPunks were trading for like 5K, right? Um, the other one was like Yuga Labs right now is valued more than all of Star Wars was when Disney bought it. Which if you just think about those two statements alone are absolutely fucking crazy. Excuse my French, but it's crazy. Right. So it's like sometimes like we have to rein it back and, you know, be be bears because I'm pretty bearish on a lot of this stuff personally. But I'm bullish that if we're bearish on it, that like we could break down some of the ego and some of the uh, grandiose ideas to like help build on top of it and build those tools out to actually make those better models. And I still think we're like ages away from having like really solid models because to toward the top of the conversation, I think Nico, you kind of said like, and I agree with it, like this is a new layer of game design. And to me, that's that's what it is kind of at the heart of it. But just like free to play had to be developed, like now we're developing this new layer of game design, which makes me super excited and, and why it's so much fun to work on. But it's scary, super scary. If you don't mind me jumping in, I think the thing, um, I think the lesson that's really interesting to learn here is what happened with AI. And I might've done this on a previous pod, but we talk about, you know, a crypto winter, right? Well, um, AI is an interesting field because it has had winters as well. And um, Mm. going back to like, I mean, I don't have the Wikipedia page in front of me, but like people have been working on AI since the dawn of computing, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, as long as we've had computer scientists, there's people been like, what if we could make a thinking machine, right? And in the early days, What's interesting is like AI now is like widely credited as like having basically arrived. It's doing amazing things, creating absurd miracles to the point that we're now like some of us are like actively worried if AI is possibly too good and will kill us all. Right. You know what I mean? Like that was not possible when AI sucked and in the middle of AI winters. Um, 
which has gone way past a nice problem to have to a scary problem to have. And, um, but nevertheless, AI has been this smashing success. And what's so interesting about it is that they've, AI is, when you, when you scratch the surface, AI is a brand name. And if you go underneath, you notice that the way AI made progress was by giving up, was by cutting off dead ends and basically being like, um, back in the real early days of AI, we thought that if state, a big pile of if statements, symbolic logic would be enough to arrive at thinking machines. Uh, turns out we were wrong. Um, but we're going to come up with something completely different and still call it AI. Yeah. And you went yeah. through like all these different things. Like I, I'm not smart enough to remember them all off the top of my head. But like one of the recent developments is like there were two models, like reinforcement learning and deep learning. And they both have their own applications. But like deep learning is like the one that's like really pulled out ahead. And um, and what's interesting is that instead of being like, OK, pile of if statements is the future or reinforcement learning is the future, or deep learning is the future, like, basically, they just said AI is the future. And then they were willing to throw away technological implementations that didn't get them there. I mean, even if it took decades. And I, if you want my hot spicy take, is that (laughs) blockchain should not be the brand. Blockchain should be an implementation that we are willing to even throw away if it doesn't get you where you want to go. And, um, you know, I have and I feel like this process is already underway with all these services that are basically trading away one or more of the fundamental promises of blockchain, which is distributed, decentralized and trustless. You know, there are plenty of services that inject all kinds of trusted stuff into the mix or all kinds of centralized stuff into the mix or all kinds of, you know, undistributed stuff into the mix. And it's like, okay, well, if you're getting rid of one or two of those, like. Why are you holding on to this whole thing? So my spicy take is that, you know, maybe you can reimagine blockchain or reimagine other ways to achieve some or all of those promises to get where you want to go. Come up with some new brand name. I mean, Web3, you know, we are Web, web is not necessary to be Web3. So it can be literally whatever someone wants. Um, so so why not, you know, reimagine blockchain as well to to kind of get where you're going? Anyway, that's just kind of like my my overall thought there is um, if you want to make progress, then you progress doesn't get made by just bashing against the wall until your knuckles bleed and you power through. Progress gets made by being willing to try new things. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Um, A quick shout out. um, Sorry, quick shout out to Two Minute Papers, sweet YouTube channel on AI if you want to dive down some of that AI rabbit hole in history and watch it progress in front of your very eyes. Um, That's all. Sorry, Nico, I didn't mean to cut you off there, man. No worries, no worries. It's a good shout out. Um, I hear a lot of people comments and say that, you know, this is cool, but you don't need blockchain for this. Mm. And then my question is, why, like, what's the main reason why you wouldn't use blockchain for this? Um, because, like, I can I can understand that people come to me and say, like, injecting real value into games doesn't work. Like, it doesn't, like, there's a problem with incentivization. If you get paid to play, it's not fun anymore, right? So it ruins games, right? I can understand that argument. But I just want to understand, like, What's so wrong about blockchain in its fundamental, like as a technology, um, Lars? Oh, yeah, sure. So I'll, I'll answer that. Um, well, it depends on what this is. Why do you need blockchain for this? You know, and basically it comes down to um, blockchain has three promises. Blockchain is a brilliant technological solution to a very specific problem. I remember when the Bitcoin white paper came out, I thought it was brilliant. And then I was just kind of surprised that the use case for it was narrower than I expected. Um, but the three promises of blockchain, there's more to it than this, but this is the basic issue, 
is that it is a trusted distrib- a trustless distributed ledger um trusted distributed um a trustless distributed ledger uh that um is also irreversible right with irreversible transactions and it's important for solving what we call byzantine consensus in the face of untrusted actors where you want all these nodes to agree on what the answer is to who owns what when you can't necessarily trust them and for me and so the issue is you pay a very high cost for that with bitcoin like proof of work is still the best consensus algorithm the problem is it's just horribly expensive and maybe not worth it and proof of stake does seem like it does work, but it does credibly open up a larger security hole. Um, and we're not quite sure how bad that is or not. We'll find out soon, especially after the Ethereum merge, if that happens on schedule. Um, and so the issue is, once you move away from that problem, you're still paying the cost it took to solve that particular problem because all technology is about trade-offs. And so if you trade away from that original problem, you're still dragging along the huge cost associated with it. So once you mm-hmm. have a centralized system where you have to trust people anyway, why do you need this complicated consensus mechanism? Because you're not even you're you're paying the cost to not uh, to to not solve that particular problem. And so you you you're already trust having to trust people, which is what you're trying to get away from. And you already don't have like like this was the problem with Ronin, right? Is it's like you have to trust that. Um, Sky Mavis and Ubisoft and whoever their other handpicked validators are have got your back and know what they're doing. Um, and so, so you have to trust them because there's so few validators and because there's so few validators, it's not effectively distributed. But when something goes wrong, we can't reverse it because we got irreversibility. And so my basic argument is that for me, I don't mind trusting people, but I care about being able to change who I trust. Right. And so the real problem with Web 2 is not that I have to trust Google. It's that I can't stop trusting Google. Right. Mm. I don't mind trusting yeah. Google as long as Google is behaving. Maxime Marlin Spike calls this the velocity of trust. I want to live in a world where I can Google burns me and I'm on a new new email provider. All my stuff carries over like that. It's perfectly compatible. And Google can no longer screw me and I don't have to worry about anything. I cannot do that. Their tentacles are stuck in deep. And um, so the problem yeah. a lot of people like talk about like Web2 is like you got to trust these people and it's centralized. It's like those aren't the problems for me. The problem is I can't switch, which is because of monopoly concerns and other things like that that they've got baked in. And then the other issue with blockchain I have is that um, besides the costs, that's another one, is I don't think irreversibility is necessarily this big win that we think it is. Um because normies want to be able to reverse fraudulent transactions, which there is such an incentive for um, on an irreversible ledger. It's like that. That's why the Axie hack was such a coup for North Korea. Is it's like, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to take this back? Like you have to, you have to find the thief and cut their fingernails off until they give you the private keys to be able to reverse that. You know, and. Um, so yeah, so that's that's the, the, just to summarize. It's like irreversibility isn't really a feature for me, and trust isn't necessarily a bad thing, so long as I can change it quickly. And that's my real problem with Web two. I can't change the trust. It's not that the trust exists in the first place. Mm-hmm. That's fair. I think um, I'm an optimist when it comes to technology, and in my, what I'm hearing from 
people that are smarter than me when it comes to blockchain scaling is that we'll soon be at a, you know, multiple tens of thousands of transactions per second on Ethereum using, and, and okay, soon might be, might be a few years, right? But we'll get there. Um, and so, you know, for me, so the, the cost aspect is, is redundant, right? Technology evolves and any expensive computational or computation that has had been done in the past now is 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 cheap right with the advancement of technology and I, I expect that to continue with blockchain technology itself as well and then when it comes to um irreversibility I think I've spent some time in the the payment space and in the payment space if you make a visa transaction a credit card transaction that you can actually as a user stop um, so if you make a visa transaction, you can call visa and, and, and tell them, tell visa, like stop that payment. Um, the fact that you have the potential to do that means that the person that receives a visa transaction has to pay like huge fees. Right. And so, you know, reversibility has its costs as well, if that makes sense. And so I think having a technology that is irreversible and adding another layer on top, which, you know, gives reversibility and and that can then you know gives you the option essentially i think is is something valuable as well and, and i'm sure that will go like we're moving towards a, a, um you know a moment where if you make a blockchain transaction you might you know have with through like multi-sig make it so that y you can always reverse it for like a week or something there's ways to solve this using smart contracts um and so i think again this is this is a feature, not a bug, and there's ways around to solve, you know, your particular issue. And then when it comes to trust, I think, you know, being able to, sorry, that, that's another point that a lot of people make, like everything is transparent, like blockchain is open, everyone can read. There's this technology called zero knowledge technology that will enable you to do like insane, crazy stuff. Like I can, I can prove that I'm above let's say 30 without having to say how old I am and stuff like that. And, and this is one example, yeah. but the, the, the applications are endless. And so, I mean, these are my responses then when you say some of these uh, concerns, Lars. Yeah, well, I mean, the other, the other main issue just with, with blockchain stuff and smart contracts is just the fact that it, um, there's a really good book that I always recommend is this book called Seeing Like a State. And what it is about is transforming societies from implicit societies that run basically off of human relationships to changing them into legible societies that can be taxed and that run off of procedures, right? And um, corporations are, are similar. When you go work for a corporation that reaches a sufficient size, you can tell when the humanity like kind of like gets sucked out of it a little, where it's like you can no mm -hmm. longer just like go and talk to your boss and like deal with the problem. You yeah. got to go to HR, you got to fill out a form. Like your modes of conversation have to basically like it becomes like a video game where it's like you have these three choices you can make to do this like like every mode of interaction becomes mediated by a predefined procedure like like a sort of api is layered over human relationships and it means that um you cannot do things that have not someone has not thought of a priori and things you have thought of a priori can be conducted by a machine and can be automated at blazing speed um, and so that's kind of the main, one of my main issues is this notion that, um, we, so I'm not like, I mean, existing video games already are like fairly digital and constrained in that way, but like, there's always the issue with smart contracts of just the evil genie problem. It's like, I want a million bucks. It's like, okay, here's 10, here's a million male deer and they will crush and trample you. You know, it's, it's the do what I meant problem. And um, most crypto hacks are the do what I meant problem. It's like the smart contract is law. 
It did what you said. Guess what? Human beings mm. have and always will struggle to write a piece of code that actually does what they meant. And um, the computer will be more than happy as an evil genie to fulfill your wish literally and, and, yeah. and cause problems for you. The other issue I sort of have is... Um, it escapes me at the moment because I'm getting old. So I'll just let the conversation continue. <laughs> yeah, a couple a couple thoughts on some of the things you guys touched upon there. Um, to, to just wind it back a little bit, I don't want to like derail us or anything, but um, what you said, Nico, about like people asking the question, like, why do we need the blockchain for this? Because I've had a lot of those, um, I don't want to call them frustrating conversations, but conversations anyways. And I think at the heart of a lot of the things I'm about to say is kind of education. And I know that sounds like so uh, cheesy and like cliche, but it's like a lot of those people who ask me that question, I kind of follow up with like, but do you understand that the blockchain is a layer of technology? And um, the conversation stops there because a lot of them don't understand that blockchain is a technology, um, which I think is is kind of crazy. Um, and then one, one thing um, you said as well, Lars, that I thought was really interesting. It's like... Uh, is like why can't we leave some of these things behind in for like the uh, sake of improvement or evolution? Like some of these, uh, like like AI did, right? Like cut the dead branches off, but that's because these fruit grow on those dead branches, and th- those fruit turn into like maxis, right? And when it comes to like Bitcoin, and I'm not like talking shit about like Bitcoin maxis or anything, but like there is a value to being a maxi. Like there's a value to being part of the tribe. There's a value to believing in these things and upholding these things, right? That do make it hard to leave behind. Kind of going back to some of your, um, there like there are other currencies, right? And I think there's like a huge currency in having that. And, and it could be hard to leave, like you can't c- cut that off for some people. Um, Sorry, I'm like really like shotgun spraying here with thoughts. Um, but I just, I, you guys said a lot of really interesting um, stuff. Definitely want to check out that book as well. That sounds super, super interesting. And on that note, I think mm-hmm. like when I think about like this, the genie and all this money that we're pouring into blockchain or Web3 or whatever we want to call it, this is why I get like weird and hippie, is um, it's almost like we're pouring water onto a plant and giving something a chance to grow. Um, and you know, there's going to be a, like, and that, that requires like lubrication and liquidity and like that requires, um, a lot of like energy, like people, you know, coming in and like really bright minds. So maybe that's like the sunshine and then it needs the water, which is like liquidity to like grow this tree. So like the evil genie thing sucks, but I think it's like almost the price for evolution and to like put technology, like that technology, like to, to give it more life force um like i said kind of hippy dippy sort of thing but on a more like psychological level like that's kind of what the way i see it um at like a some sort of higher level or something um yeah that was just a couple thoughts there anyways and in response um probably don't make any sense though (laughs) two things i want to bring up it's like we we could go off on these tangents forever and i I think you've got some interesting comments here but for nico's sake um for the for the for the sake of the breadth of the podcast there's two topics i think we should go ahead and cover at least briefly. One is the one Nico brought up is, you know, is play to earn dead. I would love to you know mm. say at least a couple words on that or, or at least broach the subject. And then the other one is something you brought up is these soulbound tokens, right? You know, because um, um, Bidelic and um, Glenn Weil put out a paper together about soulbound tokens, you know, which I read. And it's kind of like out there and you, you've kind of mentioned it. I don't know if there's any games that actually have soulbound tokens implemented currently. Um, anyway, 
Do we have time in the remaining minutes to just briefly go over those two subjects? And is that an interesting thing to do? We can do, we can do like, yeah, very short. But um, I think, you know, either, like both of those merit probably like their own discussion almost. But uh, feel free to give your thoughts. If, you can't, if we can't get you on, then um, we, we already have those to, to start off with. Okay, cool. So soulbound tokens are interesting. Um, I, read, I read Vitalik's paper. You should, you should see if you can get Vitalik on the pod. That'd be interesting. Um, but, um, That'd be interesting, yeah. <laughs> But um, one of the issues with soulbound tokens that kind of like stands out to me, and maybe I just don't understand them well enough, is just the notion that it's like, it, it's again this notion of formalizing what was previously an informal system. Like, I know who Nico is. I don't need an NFT to tell me who Nico is and what his credentials and what his cred and what his respectability in the field is, right? And I'm not sure how having that all enumerated, you know, I, I guess it, it, it allows it for a machine to know who Nico is in a way that it didn't before. And then the other issue is that we've seen soulbound stuff in games before. And what happens is the whole problem of soulbound tokens trying to change is like, okay, we want to give you things that are inherent to you without making them, you know, tradable. But the problem is that um, you you're, you can sell your soul, right? Is that is that that's what happens in games? Is it's like okay, you have soulbound armor to this character. Well, I just sell the character. Oh, well, the character soulbound to the account. Why sell the account? You know. Yeah. So um, that that's kind of like the thing that immediately comes up. And I'm sure like Bitlick has thought of that, but I don't know what the response is. I I could actually respond to some of that um, because I actually wrote a white paper called um, on on this concept called the non-transferable social token around the same time the the soulbound token thing came out. So I've I've put a lot of thought into this, um, and the way I look at it to to address some of that is what those soulbound tokens are are essentially access tokens, um, and those access tokens in combination with economic tokens, fungible tokens, NFTs, all sorts of tokens become way more robust proofs. And what I mean by that is like, what does a proof of governor look like, right? Like, I think all of our governing systems in Web3 kind of suck right now. But if I have all these access tokens inside of my ecosystem being soul bound, NFTs, those tokens, those become access tokens. Governance becomes a gated thing of value. And then the question becomes, what access tokens do I need to pass through that gate to become a governor? So what does proof of governor look like? What does proof of professional esports player look like? What does you know, um, proof of master craftsman looks like? So I think that's what like I'm super, super bullish and excited about soulbound tokens because I think they unlock a huge layer of... Um, robustness across Web3 as, as a whole. And I think where that comes into is it allows you to begin building tiers, levels, hierarchies, and more like human things in the digital space. Um, so that's that's my quick take on it anyways. Mm -hmm. All right. I feel like, you know, we could probably keep going for an hour. I want to mention one more thing about this. Um, you know, in a lot of problems around blockchain and games, but not necessarily only games, it feels like um, we need a... Um, like non-cheatable way to link identity to digital, like the digital realm, right? Like proof of humanity or proof of identities. We need something like that. I think if we have something like that and it it feels feasible, I don't know how, but it it. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm I trust human inventiveness to to figure out something like this. Um, but once we have that, I think a lot of these these problems might be solved. Um, all right. Okay, I feel like you guys both have responses, but we, we're going to have to uh, to to, to, <laughs> to, to wrap this up. But we can uh, yeah, definitely sure. have another discussion on, on these topics uh, in the future. Um, if people want to reach out, where can they find you, Lars? Uh, at Lars CS Prime on Twitter, and I have a blog called FortressOfDoors.com. 
And I, I write for Novik. So check out Novik and um, N-A-A-V-I-K.co and we write stuff. We write stuff. Absolutely. Great stuff. And Jeremy, where can people find you? Um, I'm pretty much everywhere. Um, Twitter, all the socials and stuff at Jeremy Storm Sky. Um, and I also do some Delphi podcasts and occasionally have some Delphi articles myself. So um, yeah, check out Jeremy Storm Sky or just Delphi stuff in general. Um, probably the best. 100%. Good stuff. Good stuff, both on Navic and on uh, on Delphi as well. Um, all right. Well, thank you very much, both of you, for joining me. This was uh, super interesting. Um, great thoughts, great discussions, and they spark new ones. So, I mean, we're going to have to do this, this again sometime. Um, with that, listener, thank you for listening. We're out, and we look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Cheers. Cheers.